Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we ask that you continue to pour out your spirit upon us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word this day. And Lord, any words that I speak that are from you, let them be heard and applied to our lives. And anything that I speak that is not of you, let it be forgiven and forgotten. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been uh, talking about reluctant leadership through uh, the life of Moses. And uh, we know that Moses, from the very beginning, was a reluctant leader because of the fact that God had to speak to him through a burning bush, right? Uh, you know, that shows he was probably pretty reluctant. Um, and when Moses first heard this call from God in the burning bush, uh, at first he was initially struck with awe and a little bit of fear, but very quickly he did, excuse me, he did exactly what most of us do when uh, we experience some sort of call or nudge from God, and that really is that we begin with the excuses and we come up with uh, alternative scenarios, uh, and we, uh, it's kind of like having a nine-year-old. My daughter, Emma, is kind of in that stage where everything is a negotiation. Uh, and she has got to be a very good negotiator already. And I'm, I'm kind of getting nervous about that. But anyway, um, and especially Moses got a little bit worried when God kind of gave him a little bit of an indication of what his role would be. That he would have to go to Pharaoh. And he would have to demand that the Israelite people be set free and he would take them out and carry them out of slavery. Well, have any of you ever uh, bargained with God or made excuses before? Probably, right? I know I have multiple times, many times, uh, so I doubt you're too different than me. Uh, we humans are pretty good at uh, making just about anything into something about us, and we're really good at trying to find ways to assure our own comfort and convenience. But as God uh, tends to do when God calls us to do something, God uh, is kind of relentless. Um, God persists. And with Moses in his life, he persists, and he persists, and he persists. Uh, so you know, God decided that he would show God that he is with him by doing a few little tricks. And so Moses first had a staff in his hand, and he said, take that staff and throw it on the ground and it'll turn it into a snake. Well, that's a pretty cool trick. I don't like snakes, so it's not one for me, but it's pretty impressive. Then the second thing he does, he does that old stick your arm inside your cloak, pull it out, and you'll have leprosy. Then stick it back in your cloak, pull it out again, and it's gone trick. Pretty impressive. And then for his last last uh, trick, not to be outdone by David Copperfield, he says, go and get a cup of water out of the Nile and pour it on the ground and it'll turn to blood. Kind of gross, kind of gross, but impressive nonetheless. God does all of this to show that it is indeed God who is with him and that he will be with him to do whatever he asks of him. And that this burning bush experience is not just some sheep herder psychedelic heat-induced fantasy. It's real. But while God kept trying to show Moses that this project was much bigger than himself, Moses kept bringing everything back to him. 
Like most people, he was more concerned with himself and how this call would impact him rather than how it would impact others. So Moses continued to protest. You know, I I don't speak eloquently. I don't have a voice like Barry White or something. I really thought I should have cued a sound effect there with a little Barry White music in the back, but (laughs) thought that might be pushing it. But now God, you know, has got to be shaking God's head. Just like, can you believe this guy? You know, I've done all these things and still. Well, then in Exodus 4.14, we hear what happens next. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite then? God goes to plan B out of exasperation And God continues, I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, his heart will be glad. Isn't it nice when somebody is glad to see you? I remember, back to my daughter again, but uh, I remember when she was a little bit younger, she doesn't do this as much and I really do miss it, but she doesn't come running to me every single time I come in the door anymore. I know, hard to believe, but she doesn't. Uh, but she used to, you know, I'd come home from work, daddy, and she'd come running and jump into my arms. You know, I miss that. I really do miss that. But she was glad to see me. And Aaron and Moses, you know, it says that Aaron was glad to see Moses. That meant that their relationship was in a place where they love and depend on one another, where they know and they trust one another. Uh, They are family and they've been through uh, their relationship enough and they've gained enough strength and comfort and they're sure 100% that no matter what, that my brother will be there for me. No matter what comes, even if it comes through some amazing call from God. And out of love for God and for his brother Aaron, Aaron readily, or excuse me, out of, sorry, out of love for God and for his brother, Aaron readily puts his own interests aside and he asks Moses, how can I help? You know, I see you're kind of sweating there on the, you know, there's got a burning bush that's not burning exactly and you're kind of dripping in sweat because you're contemplating. So how can I help? Little did he know the amazing adventure that asking that this asking this little question would trigger for them both. By the time we get to our Old Testament rest lesson that uh, Jerry read just a few minutes ago, Moses had led the people out of slavery in Egypt. You know, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 days or 40 days, 40 years. They wished it was 40 days. 40 years. And now Moses was preparing the people for entry into the long-awaited promised land. But Moses also knew far too well the temptations that constantly challenge faith in God and tempts people away from loving each other and worshiping him alone. He knew that families would need to help to take the lead and stay focused. So Moses speaks the words uh, that, that Pastor Dick uh, mentioned it earlier on in the prayer time. The Shema, which later Jesus too would quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away and when you lie down and when you rise. Always keep these things in front of you so you do not forget. You know, God had written a love story that's far more incredible than any love story that has come before or after. And it is critically important for the well-being of all of God's children that this story not be forgotten. God had first created humanity out of his great love for us. God had saved them from themselves and destruction by the flood out of love. God chose the Israelite people and made a covenant to be their God out of love so that they could then be agents of his love in the world. God rescued them from slavery out of Egypt out of his love, and as they prepared to enter the promised land, God hoped that his love would lead them to great prosperity. But God also knew, and just as Moses proclaimed, that every family from generation to generation must continue to teach their children and their grandchildren the commandments and ordinances of God, which were given out of love, but could be easily forgotten or distorted if not attended to. It was in this setting, the family, where God's love would be enacted and embodied. It's here where God's love would be made known. It would be where fathers and mothers would love their children well so that they then could go out and love others well. It is a foundation for which God's kingdom values would flow the place you would be completely known and honored and accepted as a child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is about where Moses' leadership in the story ends. But as you well know, this is not where the story ends. From here, Israel goes through a variety of periods of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, of rises and falls, of God's loving uh, offering of, of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, and then the people once again falling away. All of the commandments and the rules and regulations started to build up. There are over 600 of them in the Old Testament. And this had led several people away from God's intending loving relationship with his children to think the way to earn God's favor and keep God happy was individually following these rules and going through these rituals. Faith became more about caring about following the rules or looking for ways to kind of work around them, a little bit of loophole action here and there, than actually caring for one another and for following God. And instead of a source of freedom and care, religion had become a burden and a source of division instead of unity. And from under this weight, some people began to cry out for a Messiah, for a Savior to come and set all things right. And as God always does, he's relentless when he calls us, but he also is relentless when he hears his people cry out to him. He responded to their pleas. And once again, out of God's great love for all of God's children, God sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, to save us. And at this time, he, this time around, though, he was not armed with 600-plus rules and regulations, but just one. Just one. 
Jesus made it clear that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. When he was asked by one of the scribes, as again, Dick mentioned earlier, uh, what was the first and most important commandment? Jesus answered this. He said, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ring a bell. It's the Shema. We just heard it from Moses. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. But just in case that wasn't clear enough for you, Jesus again in John 15, 12 says this. This is my commandment. It's not that kind of weird take one commandment and another commandment, put them together and make one commandment kind of thing. It's not like Trinity math, one plus one plus one equals one. I won't get into all that. You can think about that later. But this is what Jesus says. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then, later on, Paul, who wrote about half of the books of the New Testament, in Galatians 5, 6, says this, the only thing that counts in faith Or is faith working through love? Paul says that the only thing that counts. And Jesus says, love your neighbor and love as I have loved you. This is my commandment. Love. 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 So for Jesus himself and for Paul and Peter and the other early leaders and followers of Jesus Christ, it was very clear The way of Jesus and his self-giving love is centered on the you next to you and not on you. I know I'm going to say that again because that's kind of hard to get in your mind. The way of Jesus and his self-giving love is centered on the you next to you and not on you. Looked at the you next to you. That means the person on that side and the person on that side. I know some of you are thinking, well, that person is... I can see who you're sitting by, all right? So I know... Some of you are harder to love than others, but Jesus does not give us any little stars at the bottom of the page, except for the way of Jesus is centered on the you next to you and not on you. In Galatians 5.14, we hear, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And oftentimes when that you next to you um, that you're looking at right now is your closest neighbor. It's somebody in your family. So as as earlier Moses elevated the status of the family as the primary vehicle for transmitting faith forward to the next generation, Paul, understanding Christ's model of self-giving love, began to wonder how this would look specifically in the context of the family. Paul asked the question, what does love require of me? Say that with me. What does love require of me? One more time. What does love require of me? What does loving my neighbor in the way of Jesus look like? How do I love my neighbor as myself starting first with my family? The answer to this question is found in the fifth chapter of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians Uh, Verse 21, it says this, submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This concept of, excuse me, of mutual submission was new and it changed everything. It turned the might makes right power plays of the Egyptians and of the Romans on their heads. It turned the rule following faith of the religious leaders upside down and it reinforced the self-giving love of God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. But we don't submit because we are weak or a doormat. And I know that's, somewhat, that's what some of you are thinking right now. Well, if I, if I submit to somebody else, so that means I'm weak. I know how you think because you're like me, you're human, and we think similarly a lot of the time. Because we're trying to make it again about us and not about the person next to us. But we don't submit because we're weak or because we're a doormat. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and his new commandment and his new covenant centered on love. The old rules and regulations no longer control or restrict or confine us to only thinking about ourselves and our own well-being. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Focus in on and love the you next to you and do not do it out of obligation to follow the rules or to make God happy. You know, if you've already chosen to follow Jesus, God is already happy with you. Don't worry about that. You're all right. Do it out of love because that is God's way in the world. You know, mutual submission is critical to our loving relationships, especially with our families who are closest to us. This question, how can I help today? You know, when you ask that question, you trigger this concept of Christ-like submission. When we submit to one another, we say to our spouses, to our sons, to our daughters, to our parents, our grandparents, our grandchildren, I will share with you my time. I will share with you my power. I will share with you my resources. I will leverage everything that I have for us. And this is the key to a really great family. The message that people receive when you ask, how can I help you today, is that they matter. Not just to God in the fact that, oh, they're all God's children, we're all God's children, we're all God's children. Not in that kind of just flippant way, but that they really matter. That you love them as much as you love yourself. And we all love ourselves a lot. That we are willing to give ourselves away for them. That even though we've got a ton on our plates and we're really busy, you have time for them. You know, if you're going out of the door saying uh, like this, how can I help today as you're going out the door? I'll see you. Oh, great. See you later. Bye. Click. You didn't care about how you could help. You were concerned about what you had on your plate and what you were going out to do. That was the most important thing. Because you can go through the motions and just say this question. It won't have any impact in your life at all. But if you actually stop and listen to the answer, I don't think you'll get taken advantage of. But I think it will be a game changer for you too. Husbands, wives, children, friends, ask this questions. Ask this question, and I think you'll be amazed at the response. It may take a little while to get used to it, 
But when we submit to one another every day, amazing things begin to happen. Because this is a question that forces you to lean in and not pull away. That's an important thing. Because when you're just running out the door like this, you're running away. You're pushing them away. You're not pulling them in. You're not saying you're important. You're not saying you're number one. You're saying I'm number one. And you're maybe number two, maybe number three, maybe number 27. But not number one. This question forces us to get out of the selfish mode where we see ourselves like the sun in the world revolves around us. It forces us from always insisting on being number one and willingly submitting to being number two. We do it for the, nec- the you next to you and we do it out of reverence for Christ because Christ gave himself away for all of us. Romans 5.8 reminds us God proves his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, remember in the garden, remember, Jesus asked God the Father, what can I do to help? What does love require of me? And the Father's answer was this, you're going to have to put yourself second. And it's going to cost you everything. Everything. It is even going to cost you your life. Well, most of the time asking these questions will not cost you your life. Maybe a little of pride, a little bit of time, a little bit of money sometimes. But when we ask these questions, we are saying to those who we love, our faith matters, you matter, and I want you to know that I love you like your Savior loves you. Jesus and Paul both said, all the law and the prophets, all of the old New Testaments that would follow hung on this one commandment to love one another. Everything else there is an application, an illustration, an example of how to love one another. And it's not there just for your benefit, although you often do benefit. It is there for the benefit and the well-being of others. Everything is there for the sake of others. For the sake of those who you and who I have been called to love starting with our families. One of the most important acts of leadership that any of you will perform in your lifetime is embracing and embodying and passing on your faith that God has given you in his never-ending love to the next generation. Embrace these questions like Moses and Aaron and Paul did. Live for the you next to you and know Christ loves you and is honored because all that you do is in reverence for him. Let's pray. Lord, help us put away our selfish desires to always be number one. Help us learn from the example of Jesus who gave everything up for us. Help us to die to ourself and our selfish ways and put ourselves second, just as Jesus did. Let us honor his sacrifice by making sacrifices of our own for the sake of others. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to ask, how can I help today? And what does love require of me? Help us to ask these questions each and every day. Help us to lean in to one another and 
through giving ourselves away, create a community of love in our church and in our families that we can submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.